Um, Maria, thank you so much for joining me on the Green Techpreneur podcast. Um, I wanted to speak to you because you are joining me from Lviv uh, today, and we we know that uh, obviously, you know, Ukraine has been in a, in, a, in not just a war but a, a severe energy crisis with uh, Russia really viciously attacking the energy grid and 40% of the country's electricity and energy knocked out. Um, so yeah, it would be really interesting, I think, for the audience just to get some firsthand insight from you as to what it's been like for you to, to go through this. And then later on on the podcast, we'll talk about some possible long-term solutions for how to rebuild Ukraine from with a cleaner energy grid. Um, so you're you're the director of Care in Action. Could you introduce yourself a little bit and uh, what you've been doing and, and just how, how has your life changed from before the war to what you experience now? Uh, thank you, Marion, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, so um, I'm running the NGO Turbotovyi, which is translated as Care in Action. It's a German-based NGO uh, in Lviv, in Ukraine. And a lot has changed since February uh, 24. And um, it changes uh, that they happened within personal life. They happened within work and on national level. And um, if you talk about uh, the work I do and our organization does, um, we work with children in care and with foster families and also vulnerable youth. And this has always been the main focus of, of our work. Though after the war, very like within a week, we were very flexible and we expanded our work. We started to support internally displaced people because um, many, many people were arriving in Lviv uh, after the war. Uh, one of the reasons because it feels very safe as it's the most western part of Ukraine. And the other reason that uh, Lviv is a very, um, uh, like, I would say, a cultural hub and it has a lot of opportunities. So uh, people would feel like they can find um, uh, something to do here as it's a big city with a, a lot of opportunities. So uh, the first thing that we started to do, and that was new to our work, we started to accommodate people from the March the 2nd, and we accommodated them in hostels. So we would rent out beds in hostels. And uh, it was very uh, unexpected decision to ourselves. So we started to do it quite sporadically, and we looked just where are the best uh, crisis in comparison to the conditions there and we would ask a good discount from hostels and uh, at some point we had uh, 200 people accommodated simultaneously and with uh, uh, with time we added new services to internally displaced people uh, because uh, after that shock the main thing people needed was a secure place and food, uh, so we also did aid as well to provide some basic needs. But then when people realized that it would not take a week or a month, but longer for them to come back, uh, there was a need uh, 
for them to integrate here or to look for other long-term solutions. So some people would decide to emigrate like as refugees abroad, and we also help them with um, transfers to the border and other people would prefer staying here and uh, they would need um, to look for a job, uh, to enroll, like their kids needed to enroll in local schools or like, they would need to set up a, a new life here. And many people firstly, they needed psychological support uh, just to, because they like, I think they mentally refused to, um, to believe that it's, it's for a long while. And that's why they didn't want to look for a job. Like why I would look for a job if I'm not going to stay here, I will go home, back home soon. Yeah. And um, yeah, so uh, we outsourced a psychologist when needed. We cooperated with other organizations that could provide that help. Uh, we hired a social worker in July uh, who would accompany the families and help them with like uh, what they needed. And there were... Um, range of needs, like legal advice, medical treatment, getting needed documents, like a certificate of internally displaced person or uh, getting a child into a school. Uh, so things like that. And also we started in a partnership with a scout organization, PLUST. We started up a um, crisis center, which we called Care Center, uh, which provides since April, uh, 20, uh, 30 beds for women and children. Um, yes. So, uh, as you can see, they will be very busy. <laughs> yes. And our team grew. So, where we were less than 10 uh, people, now we are more than 20 because of all the new um, uh, projects that we launched. Um, and in order to provide that comprehensive support, and integrate internally displaced people in all our other projects and at the same time uh, to provide the services to our main target audience, which are children in care and foster families. Like we did it, needed more people. And um, uh, thankfully, uh, there were also new donations coming. So we managed to, 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 to do it, uh, to make, a best use, I'd say, of, of what we received to support people in need here. Mm. And uh, do you have like any any numbers for how many refugees you've helped? How many have, have sort of passed through your, your, your help and your care? Um, yes. So um, as of a week ago, there were 745. And I think now it's about 800 internally displaced people uh, mm. who were accommodated by us. Yeah. Some of they, them stayed for a few days or a week and would go uh, abroad or to their relatives. So it was a temporary shelter. And mm -hmm. some of them are staying with us since March. So mm -hmm. it's different. Um, yes. And if to talk about uh, like humanitarian aid, um, it, it I think the number would grow to a couple of hundreds. I can't tell for sure because we would support with the aid not only internally displaced people, but also local families, like family-style orphanages. And we have 45 family-style orphanages we are supporting in the region yeah. and uh, families in crisis and vulnerable youth. So because not only IDPs were affected by the war, but also local people here. 
and especially right now with the energy system collapse. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what kind of impact has the energy, you know, the, 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 the destruction of the energy grid had on, on your life and on your work? And uh, I guess from what you can see also in the bigger picture on, on Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, maybe I'd start with a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. I think the, uh, the, a big impact was made on business. Yeah. Uh, especially on business which is like energy dependent mm -hmm. um, and uh, some businesses had to stop and others had to learn how to survive uh, though it affected uh, maybe they uh, they they had to uh, un to have some shortages in their companies or to prove to put uh, bigger prices because uh, now it's big expense like because they had to buy generators or like other things to make it work. And um, I was reading an article uh, that at one big, big company, which uh, uh, works with uh, uh, in metallurgy sphere, uh, there were uh, 54,000 like private businessmen uh and now there are 20 so a very big shortage of oh um, employees there yeah um and uh, it is expected like it has been expected that to the end of this year 30 people uh, like 30 percent of population would be without work um yeah yeah and um like uh in Viv, mm -hmm. um we have like regular power cuts yeah and it's um uh it should like one power cut should last for four hours mm -hmm. so you can have at least eight hours a day without energy but sometimes there are also emergency power cuts which are unexpected so like there's a, like a loop which there might be a power cut or might not be one so sometimes you can have 16 hours a day without light yeah. and uh if to talk about just some simple uh, routines at home mm -hmm. it's it, it affects uh, the heating, it affects uh, uh, having hot water and cooking. There are some buildings that don't have uh, gas supply and they uh, fully depend on electricity, like electrical uh, stoves and, and heating and other things. So they would not have uh, heating and uh, able to cook. So people would have to come up with alternative solutions like portable gas stoves. Uh, to 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 handle that, or people also learned how to do all they need within the loop for hours when they have electricity. <laughs> uh, yes, and I guess um, when there are many uh, children, for example, in the family, like family style often just or just many children, it's really difficult to do that within all uh, these four hours. And also when uh, children have distance education uh, now, so a lot of them, they have distance education. It's also like really difficult because the power cuts, they also influence, um, they influence like heating, yeah. hot water and uh, connection. So you would not have uh, Wi-Fi, you would not have internet. Yeah. And then it's it's really difficult. And the supplies would not work if you don't have like, an, a, a big power bank, like this electrical station at home. Mm, and uh, if to talk about my personal life, mm -hmm. like for example, my at at the office we are lucky because we always have light, uh, 
And I think it's because there is some, uh, there are rumors that there is a court office or something which is important and should have the right always. <laughs> so, and we have, somehow we are in that line. Uh, yeah, so okay. that's good. Uh, because yeah. we have uh, here a creative hub with a daycare for children, so it's not affected and our office. Um, but for example, uh, I, I live just three minutes walk from here and we have uh, power cards always and my husband works uh, uh, remotely. He teaches English to kids and when we have power cards, um, like uh, he can't work at all uh, and uh, because uh, we also can't use electrical station or mobile internet because the location of our apartment is so that uh, there is no mobile uh, connection there and uh, like he would be out of work too if he um, if we didn't change the apartment but luckily because we have um, light at my office at creative hub uh, when like there is some space here he comes here and otherwise like we would have to change a flat which is also uh, a quest now because uh, the prices went uh, up because of exchange like in, in inflation yeah and yeah it, it would create more difficulties too gosh yeah so it's it's uh it's just the scale of the challenge right that it, it's so vicious for the entire nation to have to struggle you know just to well heating in winter right like there, hey, there... i don't I don't have heating too. Sorry for interrupting. Oh, uh, you when don't have heating. My flat. Yes, my heating depends on the uh, on the light, and we live on the like ground floor, just above the cellar, from which moisture goes up. And it's yeah. really important, even in the summer, to have heating there, so we don't have heating. So and now are... my yeah. <laughs> so, so what are you we... what are you doing? <laughs> well, well, we try to put an electrical heater when there is heating, so. Um, because the uh, the gas batteries uh, don't give um, that much warmth, so it gives more warmth. And then when there is a power cut, it uh, stays for a while. And also we just use a, a huge warm blanket <laughs> when we sleep. So it, it's warm under the blanket. But if I just touch uh, the top of my uh, the head, I can like feel how cold it is, oh, <laughs> and I don't gosh. even put my hand out. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, it's just it's so vicious for, you know, the entire population in winter to have to be struggling with heating and then, you know, work, just being able to work, run any kind of and run any kind of business, right, becomes so challenging. The children are struggling to get they already can't really go to schools, but just to get that long distance education. So, um, yeah, it's um all I can say is I really admire everything you're doing over there and uh, I admire the Ukrainian spirit and uh, yeah, the, the, the perseverance and strength I think that the whole country has shown. Um, so we're, we're, we're getting ready for Christmas, right? It's approaching soon. <laughs> so I, I know that this is probably, you know, it's probably not a very happy time to be kind of uh, celebrating or talking about Christmas right now over there, but what are some some Ukrainian sort of Christmas traditions that you think you will still be able to do this year? Well, I, I think uh, most of them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to keep our spirit uh, high, I think we should not, and uh, Ukrainians don't want to give up 
like traditions which makes them happy and it yeah. will be also a symbol that uh, we are unbreakable <laughs> yes yes uh, so maybe i'd start uh with uh, the date because in ukraine like um usually christmas uh, is celebrated on the 7th of january according to joint calendar but an interesting thing is that now with every year and especially this year more and more people they uh they shift to gregorian calendar to celebrate it on the 25th of december mm -hmm. and it's also connected in part to withdraw from like uh traditions that are in russian so mm -hmm. now it, it's even more popular my mom invited me for the 24th for Christmas Eve. Very interesting. <laughs> Even though the last year she did for the 6th of January. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so the uh, Christmas Eve, or as we call it here, Holy Dinner, would start, like, according to the tradition, it should start where the first star appears in the sky. And um, on the table, you would see it. 12 dishes uh, which are like uh, meatless or lenten dishes mm -hmm. so you can only have fish and um usually the most uh, important dish is kutya it's a uh, boiled uh, wheat with poppy seeds honey and nuts um and it's very delicious mm -hmm. uh, so you could eat it as a dessert um, anytime but uh, I would say people cook it only for Christmas, and and other dishes would be varanaki and mushrooms and holubtsi. Uh, it's a cabbage rose <laughs> with the rice inside, and uzvar uh, uh, made. It's a compote made of dried fruits. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and also there is a nice tradition to put diduch on the table, and diduch it's like a bouquet of wheat stalks and it symbolizes the prosperity and the spirit of ancestors and uh, children would start uh, kolyada or carols like christmas carols on yeah. after um, after christmas eve after holy dinner and they would go to their relatives or just neighbors and it's also a small business for them because uh, uh, they get some money yes. <laughs> for carols <laughs> <laughs> yes, and there is also a nice tradition, uh, Vertep, it's a nativity theater, nativity skit, drama, and um, the crew of uh, children or adults, I think anyone can do it, would dress up and also go away from door to door to put that, uh, that, that, that scene. Mm, yes, so this uh, I would say these are most important, and as, of course, uh, um, the most important for um, think is to go to church, especially for um, believers. So people would go on um, the very Christmas day and the next day after Christmas Eve. But some people uh, there are also sermons that last the whole night, like starting from the the day on the verge of Christmas and to the morning. Wow, that that actually sounds really, really nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I I hope and wish that you know as many people over there as possible will, will be able to have some moments of respite and and forgetting, and you know be able to just just come together and celebrate and yeah, in, enjoy the, the the simple joys, right? Which are which are what make life um, meaningful. 
Um, you, you've been bringing um, sort of generators from what I understand, right? And, and, and sort of uh, blankets, what else sort of things to help the country get through the winter? Um, yes, uh, so um, since uh, the winter started, so we started to support people, like Karen started to support people, uh, family-style orphanages, internally displaced families with kids and families in crisis with uh, aid, which will uh, aim to secure warm winter mm-hmm. and w- which will aim to secure some basic needs are there yeah uh, so um uh, we, we would provide people with warm blankets like so that they have some extra blankets when there is no heating with the camp uh, lights which can last like about 24 hours and it's really helpful because I got one too so <laughs> I when there is no light I use it to cook because uh, I put it on the fridge I use it to cook I use it to read a book uh, to yeah even to go to bathroom <laughs> and have a shower really because <laughs> yeah uh, it's it really helps and yeah. uh, other things are sleeping bags and um, uh and yeah the biggest thing would be a generator mm-hmm. um uh, so just um this monday i would travel uh with a colleague to uh, family style orphanages mm-hmm. uh to bring them generator and it's um displaced family this family style orphanage came from uh Mikolayu region and they don't intend to go back at all uh, they said yeah. that uh, there are no prospects for their children there because the school is completely destroyed, the hospital is completely destroyed, and so they um, purchased a small house here, which mm-hmm. needs some repairment, and they would start here again. So we would bring the generator, and they were very happy, and they said that it will help for their kids to uh, get educated uh, because. Um, Power cuts influenced a lot of their education, and there's a, they have seven teenagers, uh, especially at this age. It's it's highly important, and one of the teenagers is taking an English class mm. uh, course, uh, completing of which will give her access to uh, take part in some exchange program in the USA. So for her, it's also highly important to undergo that course and to learn English. So they were very happy, and they have already because the first father there is an electrician they have a plan how would it work so he said they they would have energy saving lamps and if they have to use a generator they would be all together all nine of them in one room not to put lights in different rooms and also they said that it will give them um, hot water because they are using the boiler and heating they uh, they got some uh, gas um, ovens, something like that, a small one, to uh, get some warmth. But they said it was not enough. It was enough just for one room. And now having generator will give enough warmth for all of them. Wow. So, yeah, it, and I think trying to preserve, preserve the education, right, is just so important because if not, what you'll have is the next generation you're right coming up that didn't that that lost out on the opportunities that they should have had and didn't get the education the chance to have you know have a chance to rebuild or build their their life in the future so yeah it's 
I just think it's extremely important what you're doing and not just to help people with, with their, you know, obviously the immediate survival, which is super important, but at the same time, the focus on, you know, trying to help protect the education uh, for the next generation, right. Uh, Of, of children who are, who are going to grow up after this war. (laughs) I mean, who are going to join the workforce after this war and need to, you know, still have their, their some kind of prospects. Um, so um, how can people, if, if the listeners, you know, want to, let's say, help by donating a generator or, you know, blankets or just something to, to help you with what you're doing there, what's the best way for them to, to do that? Oh, I think that the best way would be to go on our Caring Action website uh, where uh, there are bank details. And there are also there is also a way to donate through PayPal, which is very fast. And if people uh, would like to know more details or to donate for something very specific, and let us know. There are contacts there and emails, so they could call or write an email, and we would uh, answer as soon as possible. And also, I want to add about the support in education that, yes, despite of all the basic needs, uh, it's extremely important to support education. And also, one way to do that, which we also did this year, is to provide a tablet or a laptop for a family in crisis, uh, which can't afford it. And since children don't visit actual school, they, they need appliances. And especially for bigger families with many children where they need to share uh, appliances. So that's, yeah, another way to do so. That sounds great. And I'll, I'll make sure to include links in the show notes to the podcast and in the newsletter. Uh, well, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. And uh, yeah, I wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, Carolina, thanks so much for joining me on the Green Techpreneur podcast. You are calling in from Berlin. It's very, very close to Christmas. Just uh, yeah, the one day, one day away. Um, but I wanted to speak to you because I know that you are a Ukrainian entrepreneur, and you are actually building some solar panels to go on balcony on 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 house household balconies, if, if that's right. Yes, yes, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm super excited to to be with you. And uh, yes, so the uh, startup is focusing, basically giving access to renewable energy for everyone. And I think when the idea came up, uh, I just felt really unfair that everyone who has their own home or can, who can afford, you know, to buy their own home mm-hmm. has access to renewables and uh, people like me that literally live in an apartment and uh, rent their own place don't really have such an opportunity. So everything was built around giving access to renewables pretty much to everyone who wants to have it in their home. And I think a lot of the people right now, um, especially with the war, uh, really want to be more independent and want to create and generate their own electricity. Uh, so this is how it all started. Um, of course, uh, right now, uh, and you know, unfortunately, you know, with the war that broke out, uh, demand is super high, and uh, everyone really, really wants to do something or do some kind of part um, to actually participate and to make sure that we get off the fossil fuels, but especially that we get off the fossil fuels that are bought somewhere else. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So the kit, um, it's uh, eight solar panels. They're super lightweight and thin, and they get fixed on your balcony um, in a very easy way. And everything works from just a normal power plug. And then, you know, the whole device starts pairing with a companion app that we have. And you then see how much actually energy you're producing and how much CO2 you're saving, right? Because the um, solar panels are also saving quite a lot of CO2. Uh, so it has quite a large impact on our planet as well. That sounds great. So um, are you selling that just in, in Berlin or in Germany right now or, or starting to ship anywhere abroad? Is this a solution that you see, you know, potentially being something that can help people in Ukraine as well? Absolutely. Um, not at the moment. Uh, when We understand that this is something that will be implemented later when the cities are being rebuilt. Um, so I'm definitely in contact with the government uh, to make sure that we can introduce this um, at later stages. Right now, what is needed in Ukraine is, unfortunately, you know, generators that are off-grid. Uh, my solution works when the grid is there. Uh, so this, you know, it's it's simply not fitting right now for for. Uh, for the moment, but when everything is rebuilt, we can definitely, you know, integrate it into the newly rebuilt houses, uh, you know, for the balconies that people will have. Uh, so this is the idea. So in general, at later stages, you know, everyone is more independent um, from the grid. Yeah. Uh, right now, we're shipping to 24 countries in Europe. Wow. Uh, we're... <laughs> okay. and, and when did you launch this? That, that's a lot. So actually, we launched in February uh, this year, wow, um, okay. and uh, it's, it was a complete coincidence with yeah. our launch, uh, uh, plus, you know, the war broke out. Uh, it definitely was a super hard time because I also have family, like a lot of friends um, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So you could imagine I was, you know, in between the borders, getting people, yeah. launching my product, uh, talking to investors. And uh, it was just completely crazy time. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's a bit easier. Like, I know that everyone is at least safe. Um, I um, understand, you know, that the product has huge demand. And of course, with um, the war that broke out, like our demand went up um, almost 70%. Uh, so it's huge. And, but uh, yeah, 24 countries by now. And uh, we will have uh, UK on that list very soon. So we have wow, just really? two countries that uh, we're not shipping to, uh, but we will next year already. That's awesome. That is really, really fast growth. And as I know as how urgently needed it is. I mean, everywhere in Europe, but especially here, because I think the energy prices are, are one third higher in the UK right now or, or so, something like that than they are, hmm. um, you know, in, in the rest of Europe, which is pretty crazy. So I, I imagine and I hope that you're going to get some some really good demand yeah thank you yeah thank you and how much of a cost reduction is it actually over time for people who who use your your solar so it depends how much you install and every single country has its own regulation um, how much you can install by yourself without like an electrician so for example um in germany it's 600 watt and this is what our set like current set is it's 600 watt and that can reduce up to 25 percent um, of your electricity bills uh, of course, you know, 
if you want to install more and you have the space also to install more, um, you can reduce much more. Yeah. So it really depends how much is introduced to your household, um, basically how much space you have there um, to, to reduce it. Great. And um, yeah, with Christmas approaching, um, do you have any any Christmas traditions? How, how will you celebrate? Will you, will, you, will you celebrate with the set of Ukrainian traditions or Berlin <laughs> style I would, Christmas? I would say European because European. Um, this is more of a European Christmas, of course, uh, for Ukraine. Uh, our Christmas is in January. So it's on the 6th of January. So the 6th to the 7th is our kind of like Christmas night. Um, I do celebrate our Christmas, of course, uh, but it's nothing, nothing, nothing crazy, nothing big. Uh, it's more of having a meal uh, with your loved ones um, rather than anything else. So I guess uh, for me, it's just calling my my family and making sure that they're okay and uh, just having a conversation. Uh, so it's nothing, uh, nothing crazy. I also. Um, because of some of my beliefs, I also don't have a Christmas tree, you know, so I have my, uh, you know, palm at home uh, decorated instead. <laughs> um, because, you know, we don't uh, need to cut down trees, I think, for this holiday. Yes. And yeah. uh, I hope that many people will change their ways as well and will realize that it's not really about having a tree in their household, but it's more about, you know, family and just being together. And that's what's, you know, the most important, yeah, not to harm our planet, but uh, to do something which is, you know, good for us all. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, too. Thank you very much.